All right, what's up, y'all, and welcome to the Sports Medicine Broadcast. Uh, this is the Athletic Shoulder. Uh, we're live at the Memorial Hermann Sports Medicine Update today with Dr. St- Steven Simonich of uh, UT Ortho. Um, I'm your guest host, Ray Olivo, and I have with me today uh, Carly Malia, a uh, second-year student at the University of Houston in their athletic training program. Um, join us in our conversation today at sportsmedicinebroadcast.com backslash the athletic shoulder. And Dr. Simonich, thank you again for, for joining us today. Uh, we just had you for a quick little presentation out there in the, um, the conference room. I uh, just want to talk a little bit about the shoulder and uh, your expertise here. Um, just kind of kind of baseline uh, when we're looking at the, the athletic shoulder. Um, what are some, fu- other than checking range of motion, um, what are some functional kind of baseline tests that you do that might lead you to think that there's predisposition for injury in an athlete? The, the range of motion is probably the, the most important thing. Obviously, then the classic strength testing. So you're going to check the rotator cuff strength and then all the, the sort of the major muscle groups, the trapezius, the latissimus, the deltoid, the pectoralis, all the major muscles around the shoulder. I always tell a lot of my not only rotator cuff patients, but the kids in high school that come in with some of the more common chronic shoulder problems, which are mostly from throwing, that, you know, they got to do these rotator cuff exercises. They are not the glory muscles that we see in some of our uh, athletes where you come in and everybody wants to have a big pectoralis muscle and a big deltoid muscle and a big trap, but they've got to do these other ones because it'll keep them more functional during their training. The other thing I would say is you, you have to really take a look at the shoulder and observe the shoulder in motion. So you kind of have to take the shirt off and look at the musculature and the scapula. Like you heard me talk at the, at the beginning of the talk about making sure you appreciate is there atrophy of any of the rotator cuff muscles or of some of the periscapular muscles. Is the shoulder blade rotating normally through abduction and an external rotation? Because as you go into further abnormalities along this sort of train that you heard me and Dr. Mandola talk about of kind of getting this posterior capsular tightness, you can also get a scapular dyskinesia, which is something to pick up on. And then you have to include that scapulothoracic joint in the rehabilitation process. Right, right. Um, how often, in, in regards to scapular dyskinesis, um, how often do you see, I guess, what's the ratio of um, symptomatic uh, scapular dyskinesis versus asymptomatic scapular dyskinesis? Well, you know, most of the asymptomatic ones, obviously, we don't see because they're asymptomatic. So I don't, I don't really see those that much. And so I would say that in my multidirectional instability patients, they often have a lot of scapular dyskinesis, and they have to work in addition to rotator cuff strengthening and uh, all the other muscles. They've got to work on the, you know, it's terrible to hear someone go to rehab, and I go, did you do some scapulothoracic program stuff and they may not have and I go that's you know they got to include that in and so in the symptomatic ones it, it kind of goes again with that part of the problem we didn't talk about today which is that multi-directional instability patient into some of the throwers. So kind of going off of that um, you see kids that come in that are already symptomatic that are having issues so how involved are you as a physician on a preventative level so do you kind of leave it up to the team or are you kind of stepping in saying they should be doing a b c D? well we try to I think we're up against the sort of sports establishment more so than any coach or any trainer um, it's a culture so the you'll I mean J- Jimmy Andrews or James Andrews who's kind of popularize a lot of the 
modern day sports medicine in, with respect to the shoulder uh, it, and the elbow has basically, I, I don't, I think he's still working, but he, he basically came up with a program called stop. So he, he was saying, Hey, look, I'm doing Tommy John surgery on 12 year olds. Like what's happening here? So he made a big effort to sort of try to change the culture, but that did not catch on that well. And I didn't talk about that today, but that is another talk you could give to trainers and more importantly, the dads. It's hard to percolate that into the community with the original coaches, which are the dads. And, and in, where I live, there's Spring Branch and, you know, the Sports Medicine Association. They, all the major sports are played by youth in one group, and that's a little bit easier to tackle than some of the segmented. You know, there's youth football, baseball. They're all run by different groups. Um, and frankly, you know, everyone's busy and they don't have a lot of time to think about that. Nobody's really symptomatic yet. Right. So right. how do you kind of get the culture to change from year round baseball to playing other sports and, um, and doing some of this preventative work, it, you are kind of up against the culture. I think breaking that would be the key, but that takes a lot of people and I'm willing to talk about it, but it, it's gotta be a meeting to the minds with everybody right. involved. Do you ever have trouble with the kids themselves buying into these preventative pro- programs? Of course. Yeah. I mean, and they, do they don't want to even that? do their homework. So right. oh, of course. I think it's difficult <laughs> to get them to do something that right. they don't see the direct benefit for because it's in the future. Right. So it, it's understandable. And that's part of why it's difficult. Um, I think as they get to be more serious and they see friends get injured or have injuries, it's a time that you can take to sort of uh, help those kids that are also pitchers, catchers or other type of athlete, volleyball players, whatever it may be, to sort of buy into the rehab and let, let's let's not let this happen to you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, Kevin Wilk made uh, the Throwers 10 uh, famous. Um, is there other programs that you like to see your patients or student athletes work with um, or any exercises that you would like to add on to the Throwers 10 per se? No, I think that's a, I think you got to keep it simple. So, you know, you got to, you know, you either got to do a three or a 10 and you, you can't, I mean, even a 10 is almost too much to remember. So if you try to add too much, I think it becomes, people don't want to do it. So I think to, to keep people compliant and to, to even encourage sort of prophylactic training or rehabilitation, I think keeping it simple like that's the best way to do it. When you have a uh, post-surgical patient um, from from a shoulder injury, um, what other I shouldn't say complication? What other kinetic chain, I guess, comp- yeah, complications do you see post-operatively? So, are there elbow issues generally? Are there hip issues, uh, cervical issues? What's your most common? Uh, well, on the shoulder, uh, you know, you got to separate out. I guess who you're talking about in the in the youth thrower throwing athlete which is a whole nother group of people it's pretty much shoulder and elbow so you know there's a couple of people that you could say hey if you have added external rotation you're going to have more force maybe on your elbow because you can kind of whip whip everything a little more on the other hand i had a pitcher in high school who had terrible external rotation i'm like how are you even throwing like you're, you got you're at a competitive disadvantage and you could argue he has more pressure on his elbow because his real problem was his elbow um, then if you're talking about, um, 
you know, another type of patient, which is sort of the weekend warrior, you know, then you're talking about other types of things. What, what about, um, can you speak to, uh, you talked about oh, here, one thing I'd add to that. Sure. So you asked about kinetic change. So yep. in the shoulder, it's usually the neck. We see a lot of that in the sort of after college, <laughs> a lot of crossover between neck and shoulder. And one other thing I'd add, I knew a, a doctor who took care of a major league baseball team. And he, he said, you know, if the pitchers came up to him and complained about shoulder pain, he'd ask him to balance on one leg for a minute. And if they couldn't do it, he said, when you can do that, come back and talk to me about your shoulder pain. <laughs> so his point was that a lot of these kids are so talented with their arm that they don't have to work on their core and their neuromuscular control. And to the, I think the point you might be trying to get to is you can't forget that kinetic chain and the neuromuscular control of that kinetic chain in the process of preventing injury. Uh, the How you do that, you know, whether or not, it's what Kevin Wilkes did or any other trainer. It does, I think it doesn't really matter as long as you're doing it. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in regards to rehab, uh, you talked a little bit about functional advancements. Um, so can you describe, describe the importance of using that particular method versus your template, you know, week one, you're doing, I think this, it's absolutely one. huge. And it, it, and it, it probably came up initially for me in the ACL, uh, reconstruction patients where, you know, the old sort of templated, everybody sort of copied the other guys, saying, you know, the rehab protocol, and it got circulated. And and there was a kind of a, a void of research, not really per se, but how it translated onto the rehab <laughs> uh, protocols. And so they were more time-related. So, hey, at three months, you can run. And they used to do Bidex testing to see if you had strength equal to or close to equal to the other side. But then those, you know, weren't being paid for by insurance anymore and no one wanted to pay the money to do it. And so you're doing other things. And so the functional testing is really key to sort of making sure someone is strong enough to protect their body part and the recovery process along those phases of going from, you know, in an ACL, for instance, you're going from walking as your first functional exercise to running to agility to return to sport. And those little boxes you see in and uh, Lane Bailey, our PhD physical therapist who's been developing these, uh, are really supported in the literature. And so it, it's important that everybody buys into that because if, again, one person may pass those tests a la Adrian Peterson at four months where someone else, Derek Rose, mm -hmm. with in the basketball player, you know, I think he took a year to get yeah. back from oh, yeah, his over ACL. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and he, and he, he knew it. He, he, basically probably um, advocated for himself. It's like, I don't feel ready because he functionally didn't feel ready. Right. I'm guessing. I don't know. Right, yeah. <laughs> so. Um, and then in terms of, I'm always so interested in the, the parent pushback because I'm sure they're, they're very difficult. Um, what resources would you recommend for parents to go out and kind of educate themselves? Because I'm sure a lot of the pushback that you receive um, in terms of either post-operative or pre-operative rehab comes from not always, but sometimes a lack of awareness or education. So where else can these parents go to kind of learn more about the shoulder and pitching and all the associated issues that the, their kid may well, have? Well, I like to say that we had our own website that had everything <laughs> in it. But, uh, I mean, there are, there, I mean, I think that the Jimmy Andrews, I think the pushback that I would say isn't it after they've had surgery, because I think the parents are already like, oh, okay, our kid's needing surgery, and they understand that the post-operative rehabilitation is important. 
Um, I think the thing I see a lot of is in this sort of quasi-athlete that's in high school that's not necessarily playing a competitive sport but does participate in a sport. Uh, they are hard to convince to get the rehab done because they're not really challenging their body part that much. It's the sort of before, like you got to the injury prevention where who wants to follow a pitch count? Who cares about that? Uh, my kid's fine. Uh, uh, you also get a little bit of the opposite. Some parents don't want to let their kids play when it's not as common when they're okay to play. Uh, and they don't want to think about it. They, you know, whether or not it's football where the mom doesn't want any head injuries and thinks football's terrible and, and, you know, the dad really wants the, the, the child to play or something because he enjoys it and they kind of bond together. But I think those things are a little bit harder than the post-operative stuff. Awesome stuff. Thank you very much, Dr. Simonich, for welcome. spending some time with us today. Thank you. Um, we love live interaction via Facebook, so check out either facebook.com backslash sportsmedicinebroadcast or sportsmedicinebroadcast.com backslash Facebook. Again, uh, Dr. Simonich today, uh, Carly Malio of the University of Houston Athletic Training, and I'm Ray Olivo. Uh, our sponsor today is Frio Hydration. Um, contact us today via our website, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com backslash athletic shoulder 2019. Again, Ray Olivo, Carly Malia, Dr. Simonich. Thank you.